Creative Brain Candy by creators for creators. You guys realize that there's artists like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin out there, and you choose to listen to Kanye and Da Baby. And I was going to say, like, you got the Kinks and you got the classic Yardbirds, Little Zeppelin. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I maybe can think of two Yardbird songs. Well, you we've done this before. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have this argument again, but you know my view. Led Zeppelin is just a continuation of the Yardbirds. <laughs> He's so red, guys. I, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a... I'm a He's a hu- Zedhead. Zedhead? I thought it was Leadhead, but whatever. whatever. What, yeah, whatever. I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. I love Led Zeppelin. Probably is Leadhead because it's, it's Deadheads for Grateful Dead. So. Yeah, Deadhead, Leadhead, yeah. yeah. So I love Led Zeppelin. And there's a band out there called Band of Joy that I think was Led Zeppelin before Led Zeppelin was Led Zeppelin. But everybody says it's the Yardbirds. It is the Yardbirds. I know, but the Jeff Beck group is more of the Yardbirds. Well, yeah. A continuation of the Yardbirds. Yeah, but it, if you look at it from an, as an unbroken band, they just changed the name of the act and it went from Yardbirds through Jeff Beck group to and became Zep. I mean, I, like, I'm not saying they're not, but... If you listen to Band of Joy, Zeppelin is Band of Joy, but with Jimmy Page. And, and of course, John Paul Jones, who is an awesome, awesome okay. bassist. I, just, I was just doing that to mess with you. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day? And why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkonomics, two bartenders, who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business, are going to sit down and drink to the global economy, and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Drunkonomics, another week we're still here. Uh, Don't know for how much longer. Can't say that the city of Lincoln started opening restaurants back up yesterday, so hopefully we'll be... Yeah, employed that, again. that's kind of a... Uh, Soon? Who knows? I know. It's, it's such a mysterious thing. Well, I know that thing, last week when people you know? were alluding to like, oh, Tony knows, or some other people know, it's Tony's response was, yeah, we haven't even talked about that yet. So <laughs> yeah. there's currently no yeah. plan. So the plan is there's no plan. If you're in one of the states that's opening up right now, Good congratulations luck. and uh, be safe. Well, I, would, I would warn everyone, if you look at the numbers nat- nationwide and you're kind of just going, oh, well, look, things have kind of flattened out. Things are doing, things are doing okay. You need to take the national numbers. You need to take New York City totally out of it. And what you'll realize is that the New York City spread was so big that it was what was driving numbers. And now the decline in New York's numbers in terms of spread are causing a flattening out in the rest of the U.S. You take that, you take the New York numbers out and you'll find that it's actually still growing elsewhere, just about everywhere else, especially here in the Midwest. Yeah, we have not reached the peak. Well, that's your coronavirus update for this episode. So, but seriously, guys, if you're in the state that's reopening... I really can please be safe. Yeah, be careful. And wash also, your hands. Please, please keep listening to our yeah, podcast. Keep listening just, just because, because you've gone back to work, you know? Yeah, stay safe because I want you to stay healthy so you can keep listening to our podcast. We need, want, listeners. <laughs> we need your validation. Yeah, that's how insecure I am. <laughs> um, but, anyways, uh, a lot of different topics we want to talk about today. The big one? Supply chain. The big chain. one is essentially is supply chain, which we talked about earlier. But before we get into that, sorry, mm-hmm. I'm all over the place right now. Yeah, we've got yeah, some questions. Yeah, we've got some questions. I'm all over the place right now because I just. I'm, I'm drinking scotch, so my mind's... It's, it's actually quite that. lovely. It's a nice little Isla. Yeah, my, it's being so seductive right now. It's like that hot girl that walks into a room and you can't... And she, you know it. you know when she kind of like flips her hair and starts looking around for someone and you're like, oh, maybe it's going to be me. Yeah. And you're not sure if you want yeah, it to exactly. be or you don't. And then you can't tell if she's looking at you or past you, you know. Chances oh, are it's man. both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyways, the question 
from Instagram. The uh, handle is at T-E-E-Nokes, N-O-K-E-S. The guy's name seems to be uh, Tinoco. So, hey, man, first of all, seriously, Tinoco, um, if I'm saying that right, appreciate you reaching out, man. Seriously, I love hearing from you guys. Uh, so my man Tinoco asked me a question saying, with the current situation, what is your opinion on the housing market? Will it be affected by any of this? If so, in what way? Can't wait for... Uh, yeah, and that's sorry, that's the end of the question. Uh, and he says some nice things about a podcast, which I appreciate. Which we Thank appreciate, you very much. Yeah. All right, so, what do you think? What I think is, first of all, a lot of mortgage companies are already saying, you know, excuse me, Uncle Sam would need help with all these forbearance programs. Like, if you guys are going to hold off rent for a month, if you guys are going to hold off mortgages for a whole month or however long mm-hmm. this goes out, and if you can't, if we can't evict anybody or we can't, we can't um, collect our revenue. Yeah, one, if we can't collect our revenue, but two, we also can't collect our collateral. Yeah. So a lot of these mortgage companies are kind of going under, not going under, but they, they're going to need help. They're going to mm-hmm. need some sort of assistance from the government. Yeah, they're going to need some sort of backstop, some sort of backstop. Right. To- and so there's that aspect, not to mention, you know, to, to kind of carry them over. A lot of people are also looking like, hey, this is a pretty good time to refinance our homes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are also like, well, we can't just like throw more cash on, on top of our mortgage just to, just to cut it down. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of a loaded, it's a loaded question. Granted, what my encouragement is, don't take my word for any of this. I um, think so. Do your own research is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But and, and maybe validate what I'm saying or tell me I'm wrong. I'm okay with that. You know. I don't know. I look, I look at it and I think yeah. No, today or now um, is a really good time to refinance. Rates are going to be very low. Yeah, and that um, that helps you as as the borrower. Know, yeah, as a borrower, and it helps the lendee. So, yeah, so um, I think kind of looking at it like on a macro level, we're seeing a lot of houses have been taken off the market that were on the market because people aren't necessarily willing to sell right now and then move because now's not a great time to move. Uh-huh. So you've got that happening. You've also got, you've got, so you've got sellers pulling out. You've got, I think buyers are still out there. I don't, I don't think the buying has been affected all that much. Really? I feel like the buying has been affected a lot. It, it will have been affected some, but um, if you were- the aggregate real estate value has gone down since this whole thing started. And I don't know if it's gone down because spending has gone down or if, or if demand has gone down. There's probably a little, I'd say demand for some has gone down. I think you have to kind of pair it with different things. Like the supply has gone down as well. So I, it's- Yeah, so like a real estate developer is not going to go out- Yeah, you're probably, we're seeing less construction finishing. We're seeing people who are selling their houses, pulling their house maybe off the market to sit for a while. This is an interesting one is you're seeing kind of this move from walkthroughs of houses to online. So oh, you're yeah. going to see a lot more buying houses sight unseen, kind of like Amazon. Uh, right. You know, like when you order something online, you're going to see a lot more of that now. I think that's what's going to affect markets um, in that you might see, I mean, you're certainly seeing them being affected in terms of like walkthroughs because there they're aren't open houses. Yeah. If they're doing walkthroughs, they're doing them with one or two people. Yeah. I was reading an article which said that uh, there's a realtor who actually won't take people to a walkthrough until you can prove you actually have the money to buy the house. Like where they're saying you have to prove to us, like we're not just going to take you on a walkthrough because you're interested. You're going to have to show us that you've got the means. Yeah, see, that, we'll schedule see, that right there is kind of a, a pretty big answer to all questions about now, whether or not the outlook on, on the real estate market so is. Here, well, here's the interesting thing. So that's what's happening in the U.S. What's very interesting is that that's in the U.S. Compare it to somewhere like Australia, where if a house is sold, it's sold at auction. And if it's sold it, it at auction- au- Kill the bottle, dude. Excellent. And if it's sold at auction, it's it's- Live auctioned like on the street in front of the house. Like in Australia, there's just a guy out there standing in the road doing an auction for the house with the homeowner inside listening. Really? You know, public notice. Everyone's there. It's there's none of the stuff you see kind of in terms of real estate agents. 
Yeah. That's that's my view there. I think you're going to see a lot more online stuff and you're going to see people getting some really good rates and refinancing their homes. Yeah. You know, as far as one of the questions you asked was, will it be affected by us? I think it already has been granted. You know, even prior to this, New York City was having kind of a real estate crisis. Certain parts of the country in which living expenses are super expensive, like a bunch of those places have really felt the impact before this and now are extremely feeling the impact. I, I don't know what real estate values in New York are looking like right now, but I can't imagine um, the cost of rent is going up. And I can't imagine people that are living in New York City that are working in bars and restaurants in New York City all defaulting or not, I don't want to say defaulting because that's not, legally not defaulting, but them not making their payments. I mean, that's got to affect the guy that owns the building oh, or yeah, whoever it's not, it's it is. It's not a fantastic time to be a landlord. And they can't do anything about it. I mean, what are they going to do? Yeah, they legally, they, legally they can't do anything so about it right now. So I think that's already been the effect and, you know, the aggregate housing values have gone down. So, yeah, that's... um we have to move on. If that was really inconclusive, I'm sorry. I hope you still like our content. But once again, like if we said something that stuck out to you, Go ahead and look you know, into it. Yeah, look into it. If we're right, then cool. If that validated something that you had already thought of before, awesome. If not, well, we're moving on. <laughs> seriously, feel free to tell us that we're wrong because you know anything goes when your four scotch is in. Um, so moving on to supply chain. What about supply chain are we talking about today? Huh? So in the past, we've talked about supply chain. It's how you get, it's where supply and demand meet, right? If you agree that you want to buy at a certain price and someone agrees they want to sell at a certain price, that's fantastic. Well, now we have to deal with the supply chain, which is how the raw materials get out of the ground to the processor, yep. processed from the processed to the manufacturing, from manufacturing to the sale, from the sale yep. to you. A lot well, of so steps, a lot of little links in that yeah, chain. Yeah, so let's let's link the chain together real quick. So let's say you, you're a producer of, let's go to the root of, of the whole coronavirus thing, Wuhan. Okay, so let's say you're a producer of steel. Not you're a steel manufacturer, right? you're, you're a steel foundry. Yeah, you're a steel foundry. So you, the steel foundry, James Goldwater Steel Foundry, you're not going to make any money unless someone's going to buy your steel from yep, you. Yep, I need to find who, a buyer of steel. And who who needs steel? Well, car companies, industry. whatever. We look at this, we look at industry. Yeah, say car industry companies, needs construction steel. companies, So I've whatever. got two. So I have two concerns yeah, as the steel producer. A lot of urban development planners. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so go on. Your so, two concerns. So my, my two concerns. One, do I have a buyer? And then two, how can I lower my costs so that I can make, so I can sell steel for less than, or I can make steel for less than I'm selling it for, right? Because I need to make a profit. And there's a quality to price trade-off somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's obviously being made. So I need to find someone that's got, I need to find iron and labor essentially. And I need to find a way to ship that labor to me at a cost I can afford, right? At an effective yeah. way. And so I'd look to the supply chain for that. So that's the simplistic way of looking at supply chain. Is there someone who says, okay, we're, we're going to dig these metals out of Australia. We're going to ship them up to you. We're going to railroad and barge them into you. You're going to pick them up in trucks. It's going to be brought to your foundry. It's going to be smelted. You're going to produce it into cables. And then you're going to put those cables out they're going to go into a different truck, and then your buyer is going to take... Hi, Flynn. For those of you who can hear the jingle, Flynn the dog that is That is a dog. So, like, the Goldwater Steel Foundry, mm -hmm. let's say... Let's link the supply chain on that. So, one, you have your supplier, which yep. is some, raw, some, unfinished good. Yep, some, right? uh, some mine. Yeah, that is raw, unfinished good. You take those unfinished goods... You create semi-finished goods. I create a new good. You create another raw material. Well, to someone else, it's a raw material. To me, it's a finished good. Yeah, so, so to right? you, it's a finished good. Basically, if you're the top of your supply chain, right, mm -hmm. which you're not because you're taking you know raw materials from a, a mine, mining company or whatever, but let's take, let's take that out of the equation and let's say you're the top of supply chain. Mm -hmm. You take 
raw steel, turn it into um, usable steel for car companies, for I think iron turned into steel and then right, I, yeah. yeah. So from there, my guess is you probably have to talk to a distributor because you're not just creating steel for your friend next door. You're creating steel for you know people in South Korea, people in Japan, people in the U.S. Sure. And all that so. Kind of stuff. I, so, I talk to... So how, um, does the, how does the steel get from your... So that all depends, I guess, to, there's, a, there's a big song and dance kind of. It all depends on how what kind of steel I want to produce, because there's high-grade steel and there's low-grade steel. And there's different consumers for each one. So high-grade steel, you're going to see a lot of... Um, but let's take that out of it. So like, so, I want to talk about the distribution part of the supply chain and how, I guess, integral that middleman is. Middleman's critical. Yeah, how integral that distribution middleman is from a steel foundry like you... Or your hypothetical steel foundry because mm-hmm. he doesn't actually own I a steel foundry. Okay, one. I'm sorry if that was misleading everybody, but he James Goldwater doesn't actually own a steel foundry. But anyways, let's say he did, and he wanted to get his steel from uh, his factory to urban developers and car companies and all that kind of so stuff. So I'd go. So what how, I would yeah, do that. We have, so how important is that distributor, that middleman? So my supply chain guy is going to be critical. Um, he's going to have to uh, have an ear to the ground on where things are going, what people are willing to pay. And he's essentially going to be able to go and he's going to have some leeway. If he's an in-house guy, he's going to have some leeway with me saying, hey, I'm not going to go below this price. Go up as high as you can. What are the odds he's an in-house guy, though? Pretty low, usually. My guess is very low. Usually what happens is I'm putting out enough steel that um, I sell to someone and he just tells me, he's like, look, I can buy all you can produce at this price. And my response to that is usually going to be, yeah, okay. Because it's going to be enough for me. Yeah. He, he then assumes the risk of taking ownership of the supply, right? And then he turns around and he has to hawk it to buyers. Right? So yeah. he becomes a salesman. Now, on the other hand, if I'm a really big manufacturer, I have an in-house, I have people coming to me for specific orders. And I say, okay, I can fill that order in a week. So like, is the distributor, I mean, one of his jobs is to, is to tell you like, this car company is trying to produce this many cars. We need you to produce this much steel of this grade. Yeah, of and here's the, what they're willing to pay if exactly you're interested. Exactly this much steel for, of this kind. Yeah, and this is how much they're willing to pay. So that's that's another big role of the distributor is like kind of gauging. He's gauging the demand, and in a sense, he's monitoring the supply. Isn't he? I mean. He, I mean, you're going to produce as much steel if a, for if other... A, if he's a broker, he's got he's got orders coming in on the one hand and he knows who he can turn to on the other. Uh-huh. So that's what he... So that's his problem. I would say if we if we really look at supply chain in terms of... If we really want to look at a middleman of supply, we shouldn't look at steel because steel doesn't go bad. What about liquor? We need to look at... I would say look at meat because there is yeah, an expiration gosh. date on this. This is a really sad topic for me, guys. Yeah, it's not great. Have you seen the um, the pig numbers, essentially? I don't know, dude. Like, I, if it, so I don't for, want to. So for pork products... I don't want to. It's, it's something like 200,000 a day because there's no slot... Like the, the middleman, there's three major components and they're not really... For so, meat. For food. meat. So you've got the farmer who's growing it. Then you've got... The feedlot slaughterhouse and um, processing plant that turns it from a live animal into cuts of meat, essentially. And then you have the consumer end of things, which is your grocery stores, your restaurants, like right, your your final right, end. Yeah. What we've seen right now is that obviously the farmers aren't having. Well, they're having a problem, but the problem's because the. It's not them producing. They're not having an inability to produce animals, and it's not on the grocery store end really. I mean, the restaurants a little bit because they're not consuming as much, but grocery stores are still there and selling meat. But it's the guy in the middle. It's that it's that feedlot slaughterhouse um, processing plant. That's where the problem is. Yeah. Um, and so that middleman is gone. 
And so it doesn't matter if I can truck my animals to the feedlot or I can truck from the processing plant to the grocery store. Yeah, so like when you're talking it's, about- Because that those are all fine. That's all fine. It's that they can't actually do the middleman job. Yeah, because right now, I mean, when you're talking about meat supply, the ends of the supply chain, the grocery stores are fine. And the f- farmers are doing just fine too. Well, less so. so they're they're going to be on, unfortunately, they're going to be on the short end of the stick when all this comes. Yeah. Because you think about it. So, so I was reading on this today and it takes, so to get up, to raise a, uh, like the timetable for pork essentially is about nine months. Uh-huh. And the timetable for cattle is about two years. They say it's up to 24 months from start to like, it's on your table. Like, because they have to raise it, you feed, you have to feed on you slaughter, you age it, all that kind of stuff. So that could be a two-year thing. These, so we're looking at shocks now. I mean, there could be a two-year repercussion on beef. Hold on, right now. I need, I need a moment of silence Let's for, this way. I was for looking the cows, at, dude. I was looking at the pricing, and they said, so apparently Wendy's is having a problem sourcing dude, beef. Dang it, man! Well, they used to. So they were paying a quarter a pound. Is what they've historically been paying. And at the beginning of this month, it was a dollar ninety three for the same pound of product. Dude, the last thing I want is for the four for four deal at Wendy's to not be a thing anymore. Oh my gosh, dude! This is. I know. I hate to break this to you. Aaron. How am I hearing about this just now? Well, that's why I Wendy's thing. I mean, the the meat stuff because I know I've heard about Tyson Foods and um, yeah. Oh, if, if we want to talk about Tyson, like, so Tyson's issue is that Tyson has said that they think that they may have a. F- I forget exactly yeah, what they so said. So for those who don't, for, if you don't know what Tyson Foods is, who is Tyson Foods? Who are they're ma- so they're a massive meat producer in this country. Yeah, mainly of chicken. Um, they're yeah. the big name in chicken, but they do all meats. Yeah, they do beef, they do pork, they do so, everything. Yeah, I think they said that they do they do fish too because I don't. I, I, I imagine so. I don't. Yeah. Well, if it's fresh fish, it's generally in the in the seafood section. And if it's processed fish, I'm definitely not buying it. So, like, and by that I mean like fish sticks. That's just not for me, guys. Sorry. But I was like, we have a lot of good English blokes like Max listening to this. Oh, I didn't, man. oh hey, I never said I don't like good old fish and chips. I love yeah. fish and chips. All fish and chips. Serve the newspaper as is correct. But like a fish stick out of a box? No, thank you. I'm good. Yeah. By the way, speaking of, uh, sorry to, to get on a less serious subject, Max, question for you. I don't know if you're going to hear this ever, but uh, if we ever find our way to England, would you mind us reaching out to you? Let us know on Twitter. Anyways, yeah, we'll try. To- well, if we, if we ever find our way there, we'll try and record an episode from a pub or something. Yeah. And we can have some London School of Economics or Hayek School or whatever. We'll have, we'll have some good opinions. Presence. Yeah. But anyways, back to, to the, the, har- to the harsh, back to the harsh news, kind of what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Back to the harsh news of Tyson so, Foods, man. Well, what's that meatpacking plant in South Dakota? There was a meatpacking plant in South Dakota. That was Smithfield. I Smithfield. Think. So they were responsible for for producing or not producing, but refining and packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the, one, the, one in Su- the one in Sioux Falls. And, yeah, the one in Sioux Falls. There was one of the largest roommate, in the country. Yeah, my roommate was telling me about this because he's from Sioux Falls and he loves everything about Sioux Falls, which to me blows my mind because why? I don't know. The best thing about Sioux Falls ever is January Jones is from there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. January Jones, the actor. From admin, but uh, anyway, so Sioux Falls is a big one. So if we look at Nebraska, but aren't they responsible for like producing or refining, curating, and all and packaging? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's like twenty five percent or something like it's, that. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge it's amount, a huge of portion meat. of American meat. But they, but they're like done. Yeah, for now. Uh, yeah. So, the, so if you want to look at it, so in terms of beef, eighty percent of the beef that's processed in this country is processed by the top four meat processing companies. Gosh. So when their plants shut down and start shutting down, we see slowdowns. This is a very serious issue. Sixty yeah. percent of the chicken in this country is processed beef. by the top four major producers. So that's why when you see these guys, I love chicken too. You I see love these guys so kind of much. shutting down their shutting down their plants, and um, when they are reopening them, opening them with a smaller staff, following the distance guidelines means that the lines are running slower, so they're producing less meat you've got the farmer selling it 
but he can't sell all of it. So he's selling it probably at a lower price. He's already incurred the cost to raise it. He's selling it at a lower price. And it's either getting shot and put in the ground or it's getting processed. And even then there's not enough. But here's what Tyson said on May 4. They said that its hog processing capacity was down 50%. That was a week ago. They said they said that their processing capacity was down 50%. Now, apparently there are some people who are saying it might, uh, so not associated with Tyson, are saying it may be actually as high as 75%. So Tyson is one of the big guys in this game, and they are. And they've lost, according to them, half of their processing capability. because well, what I've been seeing, and this is just, this is just me doing my... Peter Lynch due diligence. You know, I was at Sam's Club the other day. Yep. You can't find ground beef anywhere. You go to the meat section, there's no beef. Yeah, we yeah. And then I went to Hy-Vee, which if you're not from the Midwest or from America in general, it's a grocery store that's around here. And so I was at Hy-Vee and I was looking for ground beef and it was $7 for a pound. That was probably 80, 20, right? No, it was, it was about 75, 25. So, Oof, yeah. so it was about $7 a pound. And normally, like, I mean, if you get it on sale, I mean, yeah, you can find really it, well. you can find it for a dollar, a dollar 20, a dollar 80 oh, yes. on sale. But I mean, it was going for $7. So like what we're seeing is, and this is really basic economics, supply and demand. Supply has gone down. Demand has also gone up. So now we're seeing this. No, actually, here's would. the funny thing. Demand hasn't gone up. Demand's demand actually, me demand's actually decreased up. a little bit. But, but I feel like when people see this headline okay. of this meat so, shortage, everybody's going to rush to buy meat and freeze yeah. it. Yeah. Well, the problem is by the time you've read about it, it's too late. Wow, that's a, that was a really nice quote from Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. So no, so what um what I mean by that is like if we look at who some major consumers of um meat in the US are, we gotta look at schools, like school cafeterias, cruise industry. Oh, that's true, yeah. And a lot of times restaurants. Well, so here's the thing. Cruise industry, they're not sailing, so they're not buying meat. Schools are closed, they're not buying meat. Restaurants are dramatically slowed restaurants down. Restaurants are slowed down. I don't so say not so selling, all but... this meat that's been um so what's happened is you've got a huge amounts of meat that are being packaged for restaurants and therefore not for grocery stores and resale and so that's meat that's like oh what do we do with this yeah and if you're a restaurant you have all this frozen meat it's like well you gotta pay money pay money to keep it frozen frozen this this, ladies and gentlemen is kind of just we're just kind of reaching out trying to discuss necessarily how supply chains work but the the fragility or the how fragile a supply chain can be when you've got really long ones especially when you have a single supplier so yeah. Smith, Smithfield, which is trying, which is owned yeah, by a Chinese company. But when we say company. long supply chain, we mean where there's, oh, so when there's five middlemen from the original manufacturer or to, even, yeah. to you, the customer. Mm-hmm. So right? there's a lot of guys in the middle. The longer the supply chain is, the more delicate it becomes. And then also, yeah. I also mean distance. I mean like, so Smithfield, generally speaking, okay, well, a lot yeah, of times well, it's, it's cheaper to slaughter a pig, ship its carcass to China process it in China and ship it back to the US. And it's cheaper Seriously. to do that. A lot of times it's cheaper to do that than to actually just to do all well, the work like here. What I want to say too, yeah, well, you know, that is absolutely mind blowing. But what I want to say is like for the gold water, going back to this gold mm-hmm. water steel analogy, the steel from the time it gets from your foundry to the hands of a consumer, there's a million different steps because it goes from you to a distributor, to a car company, to another distributor, to a dealership, and then to, to a car owner. I mean, that's yeah. So the car, so the yeah, the step for the for the eventual to the end line consumer of my product. To me, I don't necessarily care about it when I you don't care about it, it from the foundry. But so as the foundry, this is maybe a bad way to look at this. But let's look at this now for, as the auto manufacturer, because yeah. he's the one that cares. So now it's say it's the Kentucky Ford plant. 
because there's a Ford plant right. in Kentucky. It's getting steel from the U.S. It's getting steel from Mexico, but it's also probably getting some steel and or parts from China. They're just being machined in China. It's cost effective. Why it's not? Cost effective. Right. And, yeah. it's, and it's cheaper to manufacture it there and then ship it across the ocean to me and then across the U.S. to Kentucky in a train. But now China's factories have shut down. Hyundai in South Korea, they were making parts in China and only in China. So when Chinese factories shut down, Hyundai car production shut down in yeah, South Korea. They, they could not make cars yeah, because they, they did not have halt. that part. Yeah. They'd outsourced it. So that's a supply chain that they had once a single supplier instead of many suppliers. And because of that, the supply chain became fragile. It's why unicycling is harder than bicycling and why bicycling <laughs> is harder than tricycling. The more wheels you have, the more suppliers you have, the more stable. Well, the more, the more, legs. In your, the more components in your supply chain, the easier it is for you to just, just focus on pedaling, right? To focus on doing what you're, what you're well, doing. I was going to say more like if I've got three different steel suppliers, one of them shutting down isn't an issue. If I only have one steel supplier, okay, it shutting look, down look, is a problem for me. Yeah. Sorry. I, the way I was thinking is like, if your job is just to produce steel, you don't have to worry about distribution. You don't have to worry about marketing. You don't have to worry about any of that. Mm -hmm. If your job is just to produce steel, you are going to produce the best steel in the world at a really cost-effective rate, hypothetically. Yeah, well, yeah. Because right? you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah, if I have a, if I have a guaranteed buyer yeah. and all the pressure's taken off, then I can go ahead and turn around Just, and focus on my suppliers yeah. and my production. If those two things are constants, if my supplier's constant, my buyer's constant, all I have to do is just focus, focus on producing on my business. steel. Right, yeah. So and back to our, if you remember a few episodes ago, we talked about making... Uh, was it sun chips, corn chips, corn chips? No, tortilla chips. Tortilla corn chips, chips, right? Out of corn. Out of corn. Yeah. So if I'm going to do that, I'm probably not just going to buy from a single corn farmer. I'm going to buy from multiple corn farmers, and I'm probably going to buy from corn farmers in multiple countries. And the reason is because when the U.S. is in winter, it's not growing corn, but South America is, yeah. right? So I'm going to be supplying and sourcing my corn from multiple locations. There's never a point where I don't have any. Yeah. The problem is as you get more, as you get into a good that's more and more specialized you can't do that it's a well, lot we're harder talking about good like meats that are talk about the time value on meat i mean yeah dear God. like with yeah. meat it's really easy initially as say the slaughterhouse or the feed yard because you can say okay i'm going to go to these 17 different ranches in the area instead of just a single one right i'm doing an economy of scale i'm going to multiple people right. now if i'm the slaughterhouse i'm probably got the capacity to do more than one feed yard so i'm probably going to talk to five or six different feed yards because if i talk to one feed yard it's too dangerous now the problem is there's multiple farmers flow into a single feed yard, multiple or feed lot, multiple feed lots flow into a single slaughterhouse, multiple slaughterhouses feed into a single processing plant yeah. and a single processing plant feeds out to multiple, multiple buyers, multiple, to, distributors. To multiple distributors in the end. So grocery stores, the cruise yeah, lines. You're just like scaling it like crazy right now. Right. Just talking so about economies of scale. Well, so yeah. the thing is, what you boil with is, <laughs> what you often hear about a supply chain is the simple thing. The supply chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah. In this case, currently, because of the, the number of people it takes and the, the lack of social distancing required to effectively operate at the rates and speeds we've become used to in a processing plant, the weak link is the processing plant. Just the processing plant. Well, but if well, you think is, about, okay, so slaughterhouses too well, are also having an issue because they also require people to be very close. But the thing is, when you talk about the supply chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So if the distributor is going through a really rough time right now, 
what it starts doing is it spills over onto everything before that chain. Every, everyone on both sides is affected. Well, everyone on both sides is affected, but it starts by everyone before that chain because the distributor yes. can't buy from anybody. Everyone below gets hurt before everyone yeah. above. Yeah, so then everybody above that supply chain, the demand on the other side of the supply chain increases. The or even, side, or even the if the demand side. above stays the same with less supply, the people above it can go, look, I'm buying this product and I'm selling it at a higher price, they're making more money. Yeah. But if the distributor is like, look, we can't package and distribute and refine the product. Yeah. Yeah. We can't do that at the previous rate. Then it's like, okay, well now the demand on the supply chain past that is exactly the same. And now, and now the supply somehow has slowed down. Yeah, no. Becomes, you, so you suddenly see a short. So now you see a shortage yeah. at the old prices. And, you know, people that are wondering why there's a meat shortage. Well, that's it. That's because the distributor can't keep up. Can't keep up because there's. Well, you, all so these you see these you see these issues. plants. Sometimes they employ five thousand people. You know, when you start to see numbers like three, four, five hundred of them sick with coronavirus. The place becomes a hotbed. catastrophic. Bed. It becomes yeah. a hotbed. And so for safety, you shut it down. While people will sit here and they'll say it's not skilled labor, you're right. You don't need a degree to work on a line in a slaughterhouse, but there is a skill to it. You have to know what you're doing, and it takes a while to develop the speed and the skill that these guys have. So yeah. here's the thing. Um, so there's a few ways around this. We're kind of starting to see this. We're seeing a lot more farm to... Uh, Farm straight to suppliers. Well, they're trying to shorten the supply chain. They're trying to shorten the supply chains. It's, it's kind of a good thing for farmers to an extent when they can go, all right, well, so the, it's, it's really easy with like, say, eggs. I could name three or four different places you can drive down on Saltillo Road. Yeah. That just they have signs in their yard that say like blank price for a dozen eggs. And you can pull up to their house and go, hey, can I buy some eggs? And they'll go, yeah, like $2 for 24 you can buy eggs insanely, incredibly cheap because they've just got a bunch of chickens laying eggs. Yeah, which that's is a, awesome. That's an easy shortcut. The problem that we run into with animals is that we still need them to be slaughtered and processed um, because most people don't know how. Yeah. And so what you saw a little while ago is that you saw a lot of restaurant like supply like f- for food just opened up to the public and just said, hey, look, come on in. We'll sell you a whole side of beef if you're brave enough to come down here and pick it yeah. up. Slaughter- and that's now, the thing. Like, then going ahead and like slaughtering the, like not slaughtering, yeah, but and then we'll going ahead yeah. and butchering that side of beef is going to be difficult for you if you don't know what you're doing. But- right. Like, I mean, for most people, if I just gave you a chicken and said, this is what you have to eat for the next oh, yeah. however many days, most people would have no idea what to do. You know? I'll be honest, I would Google it and I, I don't well, necessarily no, yeah, I would have that many Google, problems. But, like I would not be able to do it with the finesse of a of, of a an butch, actual butcher. Of, of someone who yeah. knows what they're who has done this before and been trained to do yeah, this. Exactly. And if you take YouTube and Google out of the equation, it's like no one oh, would yeah, have, have any idea what to do. I would I with, would have I, f- it'd be, it wouldn't be hard to kill it. No, it wouldn't but, be hard but to kill then it. But it's like if, do we do you know, we pluck it first or do we try to skin it before we pluck right, yeah. it or and, and and what can we not eat from the chicken and what what parts of the chicken can we not eat and what parts of the chicken can we eat oh know? did i just cut too deeply and did i just contaminate this meat yeah, so, that kind of thing yeah you know, so those like, skills have been lost we let a butcher specialize in it and yeah. a processing plant specialize in the parts pre-butcher and now we i mean i'm not saying it's a bad thing society has made progress but yeah. Like it's, it's it's been easier for most consumers to just focus on whatever else they want to focus on. Yeah, and that's great until until this until happens. This. So with that said, I, I you know I want to wrap it real soon because I need another beer and Fair I want enough. to get up and get it. I don't want to interrupt myself. So the outlook on general global supply chain, do you think that people are going to try and shorten it? Do you think 
large major firms are going to start looking to do their own distribution in-house just to cut out the middleman. So, okay. So there's a few, there's a few different layers to that question. Do I think that firms are going to go out there and shorten their supply chains? Yes. They're going to have okay, to. I think, I think so it's too. definitely, I think, I think you're going to see, so the big one I think you see is, so there's a few different types of supply chain arguments you can have. There's one called just in time and there's one called just in case or two of the uh, two big ones that you have. Right. So just in time means I have enough product here that everything's running smoothly, I will receive new new raw materials just in time to need them to keep producing things at the rate I've been going. Usually you see someone do just in time when there's a cost associated with the storage of said raw materials. Yeah. Now, just in case is when you go, I need to have excess supply just in case something goes wrong. I need more, whatever it is. I think you see a lot of companies shifting from just in time to just in case. I think you're going to see, so shortening of global supply chains, I think you're going to see a lot of technology in the U.S. has looked at moving out of China now. So I guess IBM and um, Taiwan Chipcore or something are yeah. both looking at moving a lot of their, their process of production back here or back into the U.S. or back into Taiwan out of mainland China. So I think you, I think you see a lot of that. I think, so shortening of global supply chains. Well, shortening the, the amount of links one, in the supply one chain. One fewer link and you've shortened your supply chain. But, also, but you also shorten the distance to travel. the product also travels. The, the traveling distance. So, which, is, which is the cost associated with that, mm -hmm. which usually, I mean, if it's to China, it's usually cheaper. But there's also a risk factor. Associated with that. So, so I think you see shortening supply chain. I think you see redundancies being put into supply chains. So by that, I mean like... Um, two suppliers, multiple suppliers instead of just a single supplier because, or of a, of a raw material just because it's too dangerous to leave it all just to one in uh -huh. case of a hiccup. I also think, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but in France, there have been statements made essentially that uh, certain industries are going to be invested, not investigated, that's not the right, but certain industries are going to be looked at. And if they are determined to be strategically valuable, that there's at the expense of business that they must become strategically independent of certain supply chain issues. So I think the United States, you'll see that. I think you'll see a look now saying, well, steel not, is not necessarily a big issue because we can produce enough for certain needs here. I think you'll see maybe a certain amount of um, more medicine being produced in the U.S., like in terms of the yeah. actual pills being produced here. I think you'll see... Well, uh, I think that as far as the, uh, the physical distance aspect of the supply chain... I feel like that's going to incur an even bigger cost with this whole thing playing out. Yeah, and, and you're right. It's going to become, most goods are probably going to become a little more expensive after this because more stuff is going to be made in the U.S. Yeah, but at the same time, like... But I mean, that's going to be because these but, these companies are going to be told in no uncertain terms that they can no longer outsource and rely. Yeah, not to mention, like, once things are outsourced and brought back into the U.S., you know, I think at least for the short term, they're going to start taking precautionary measures of like, you know what, we've got to sanitize everything. As soon as they get in here, all, all the cargo. Well, you can't do that. It's just, that's just not possible. Let's put it this way. If it is not possible for the United States and the Department of Homeland Security to actively and accurately scan all incoming cargo for nuclear weapons, there's no way they can sanitize it I still it think all. it'll incur like a huge yeah. cost The, co the cost in. of sanitizing but, but, and trying but to- the screening costs, you know, the, yeah. I mean- I have no, I don't know anything about screening and as far as what products they bring in and what products they ship out. Like, I think there's going to be huge costs associated with that now. So I don't know. And it, will it come in the form of a tariff? Who knows? I don't think but we see so. a tariff. I, I think honestly what will happen is- I don't think is, you see a tariff I think, either, I think you, you know, see, you see you increased do. costs and lower profit margins associated with an, a return of certain production elements and aspects to the United States or to whatever country. And I think that's probably a good thing. 
Yeah, um, but I don't even know if it's. It if was it's... so. It was. It was probably going to happen eventually anyway. It was going to happen for one of two reasons. One, um, Chinese wages ha- labor is no longer the cheapest in the world. It's moved. No, it's... Cheaper labor is available elsewhere. But now, on top of that, you've seen we we see that there was a there were tariffs. There was a trade war. Now this, and it's just another thing. And you and it's it's one of those things. That you, these companies are going to look and they're going to go. It might just be cheaper for us to build a new factory in the U.S., pay employees more, have a little bit less profit on our end of things, just be totally rid of that, that foreign economic of that whole risk factor. of the bad PR of shipping jobs overseas. Right. When really the bad PR should be from them automating American jobs within the within the United States, yeah. right? But also, yeah, that like the whole risk factor of it being a foreign nation that has mo- not necessarily the most honest. With the arguments now coming out, as far and, as and, like you know, the, and the their, reporting their now coming relations. out saying that well, saying that China, you know, the reports coming out now that China was downplaying the severity of coronavirus yeah. so that they could buy all the medical goods before they. Went, oh yeah! Now that we own everything, we think we're going to need. It's actually pretty fucking serious. <laughs> well, it's just, um, I mean, it's it's it's, it's dishonest communication. It, and yeah, and China has gotten a really bad rep out of this. Well, and they don't exactly have free press, and and, yeah. and no, China's going to come out of this with a, they, they, with a black they, eye. They've well, they lost kinda, market share. Yeah, they have, and a lot of that is because. You know, their media hasn't really been a trustworthy source to begin with. It wasn't all, yeah, so, no, it wasn't all that trustworthy to begin with. I mean, it, it yeah. took someone eating a bat for that to really be exposed, you know? Well, it, it, you know, there, so let's put it this way. There comes a point where the average consumer is willing to ignore human rights, you know, human rights issues and other problems if you can have cheap shirts, cheap shoes. Cheap yeah. things. If, if things are, I, I shouldn't say cheap, if you can have inexpensive goods. So if my life is inexpensive and I get to have a lot of money on top of that and I can live a pretty comfortable life, no one really cares about the fact that it's being about what's happening and how that's occurring. Of course not. But yeah. then when you start to see like, you know, oh, they're well, stealing. stuff isn't being so Oh, they're so stealing intellectual anymore. properties right, from yeah. the U.S. Oh, they're deliberately hurting, you know, not that we weren't hurting Chinese economic interests, but oh, they're deliberately hurting the U.S. farmer. They're, you know, in, yeah. in, a, in a tit for tat, you know, in a, a, a tit for tit trade a, war. It was, it was a pissing contest. Yeah, exactly so, so you get into a trade war, right or wrong, the trade war happens. And now you have people who are saying, you know, maybe... I think the big one now is that there is a, a global pandemic and they can say, you know what, I'm willing to pay blank amount extra for an American made good because they did that. Like yeah. it's, it's, you know, there, there are certain people who. Yeah, and, and the thing is like most producers and supply and suppliers of shirts or whatever, the last thing they want to do is shift the demand schedule for all Americans. Right. I mean, they, they can't want... afford to lose the American market. Right. Exactly. They can't just make everything more expensive because in their efforts of making everything more expensive, they're losing a lot of customers mm-hmm. to meet their profit margin requirements. Yeah, so they're going to have to lower their, their profit so, margins. So, yeah, so, or at least their marginal revenues. And, yeah, they're going you know, to they'll, they'll, they're gonna have to, they're going to lose some profitability because yeah. they're going to have to incur the increased costs and they're only going to be able to pass some of it on. Yeah. So I think that's what you, I think because you, you see like India and Indonesia have cheaper labor. I think you're going to see movement to those countries out of China. Yeah. I think you're going to see or the more densely populated areas. Mm-hmm. With I think high you'll see. Rates. I think you'll see a lot of stuff moving back to the U.S. I, I think you will. You know, China's still going to be a portion, a part of the global supply chain. They're going to have to be. But I think that they have. I think they played this game maybe a little wrong. And I hate to refer to this as a game, but I think they. I think they misplayed their this, hand. Well, it's game theory. So. Well, it's all game theory. Yeah. So yeah. I think. I think they played their hand wrong, or not as optimally as they could have. And I think that's going to kind of bite Chinese industry. Yeah. And I think the U.S. honestly, and this 
like, you know, I know your views on the administration, but I think we played our hands very well. But that's just me. Anyways, uh, yep. wrap I want to wrap it up soon. Uh, w- with that said, I have one more question All right, from, awesome. from an Instagram follower. Uh-oh. It's less related towards economics, but more so personal development, which uh, I'm terrible at. But my man here, DJR3D, Tate, is the name of this account says uh if i were to go into grad school which you know man i graduated from grad school just finished yeah yeah, a couple days ago and uh geez wow if you want to do that cool good on you look where it's gotten me anyways pretty sweet podcast (laughs) whatever anyways he says if i were to go to grad school would economics or finance be a better route? When I replied, I said... Accounting. <laughs> Honestly, I think the answer uh, would be accounting. Well, hold, um, on, hold on, hold but on, that's man. me. Don't take his word for it, Tate, because I'm this an guy's an accountant, yeah. all right? He's got a very <laughs> skewed definition, okay? You know what we call finance people in accounting, right? What do you call them? Failed accountants. It's <laughs> <laughs> a joke my dad used to tell me. They were such bad accountants that they had to start guessing on things. And that's they true. Called it, and they called it future before they called it forward looking. That's so, exactly right. That's, that's what I finance I can't tell is. you what happened in the past, but I, could, I think this is going to happen <laughs> in the future. Exactly. It all dep- uh, so this is well, from, well, from what DJ? I said was it all, it all depends on what you want to do. I mean, yeah. like, like if you want to be an economic advisor position for a certain bank or whatever, like, yeah, they generally hire economics people but a lot of finance people end up in those jobs too yep so, so accounting finance is much more reverse i would say degree. so here's the thing accounting economics and finance when it comes to these jobs all kind of overlap a lot overlap in terms of lot. in terms of where you're so to do any of them you kind of have to understand about half of the other mm-hmm. well i well i feel like finance and economics overlap a lot finance and accounting finance overlaps with both accounting and economics mm-hmm. a lot economics and accounting not a little really. bit there's a little there's bit of overlap bit, in terms right. of, in terms of like in, in certain yeah, yeah, but but they all and accounting and like to know about economics, you have to know quite a bit about it. not quite a bit, but you have to know enough. You, you have to, be to, know about under- so you to understand how to read accounting information. Yeah, you have to understand to do, balance sheets and to do cash economics. And, yeah, yeah. So the I guess the if I were to say if you're going to go to grad school and you're going to look at it, it depends on yeah. I guess it depends on what you want to do when you get done. Yeah, but I just pretty much said finance is a much more versatile. I would you I can, you can do more with, with I the finance. I would say yeah. If you're going to do I'm, I'm, okay, so if you want to do economics and like actually work on economic theory and things of that nature generally speaking you'd have to get a phd so grad school great if you're willing to if you're willing to sit in the next few years and like do that kind of stuff then yeah econ's the way to go if you want to do a lot of math and and work with a lot of historical uh, statistical theory that's that's great if you want to be a little more applicable finance would be the game if you want to look for an underrepresented portion of finance i would say you either need to look at you'd want to look at risk analysis and risk assessment so you'd oh, want to yeah. be, you want to well, do. You're a big, you're a risk guy. I am so. a risk guy, but no one wants to be risk. Most people want to be traders because they see that's where a lot of the money is. And it's true. But if you understand risk, there's always going to be a job for you. And you may not be getting the awesome bonus structure that like a, a trader would right, get. Compensation, comp structure. But your comp right. structure will be a lot more solid without a bonus. It puts you in a position where you're going to get to take a taste of every single trader's bonus but the risks that they're taking aren't your risks. Yeah. So, so you essentially you get to sit there and you get to kind of be the, um, I think the expression is the oh shit chairman. <laughs> you get, you might get, if you, once you've been in this and doing this for a while, you might have um, a floor of traders and you might just be the oh shit chairman for all of them. When they say, hey, I want to take big positions, you need, you'd be the one sitting there and analyzing them and going, here's the risk associated with that. And you just say like, look here, are your warnings. And then if they make money, you make money. And if they don't make money and you 
warn them, you should still be comped by yeah, your firm. Fine. Well, there you have it. So I hope that answers your question. You know, that was my answer on Instagram. If if that was inconclusive, there's another answer. If you, It's accounting. The other yeah, answer is accounting. If, yeah. If you've even l- heard this far in our podcast, anyways, um, we're done for the day because <laughs> we've been talking forever. So appreciate you listening. If you made it this far, um, I have to give one shout out to Creative Brain Candy. Yep. There's a podcast that they just started in their network. It's called um, Spoiler, They Die. If you want to shorten that, it could be called STD. Oh, no. It's pretty funny. It's kind of like a true crime podcast. So Ooh. Yeah. So we have one of those in our network. Give them a listen. What does, also, the, st- what does the STD stand for again? Spoiler, They Die. Spoiler, They Die. Yeah. Not bad. I'm huh? glad. I'm going to. I think there's a certain yeah. girlfriend in my life who might want to listen oh, to that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think you might live with her. I do. Sorry, anyway, ladies. Yeah. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, there's that podcast. Give him a listen. Also, find us on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Facebook. Like us on Facebook. It doesn't cost you anything. Your likes to unlikes or follow or whatever ratio that you care about. We're on doesn't Discord you as well. At all so. On Facebook. Yeah. And find us on Discord too. You send us um, messages there. We'll try and get yeah, back to you. So my dude on Twitter, um, dude, oh, sorry, let me pull up my Twitter real quick. Prime Junior, my man. Um, we're going to try to find a way to get you involved in our conversation on Discord. I don't know how Discord works yet, so I apologize. Yeah, but we're, we're I, doing our best. Yeah, but I appreciate you reaching out, Prime Junior. I seriously... You, like, you seem like a super cool dude, and I think we would have a, a very fruitful conversation, to say the very least. Ooh. Yeah. So, right. anyways, be like Prime Junior. Find us on find Facebook. Us. <laughs> find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Drunkenomical, D-R-U-N-K-E-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. I think you yeah. got it right that time. I think I did. You Excellent. Know, even after four scotches. So, um, do that. We have merch. Look for that. The link is in our bio and all of those things. Get yourself a really cool Drunkenomics hoodie. Aaron's and, modeling one right now. Yeah. So. Well, I want to say modeling because, you know, I have he a is. face for podcasting. I say he's got a face for radio. For podcasting. <laughs> With that said, appreciate you making it this far. I think we just crossed 8,000 downloads. So, we appreciate love you, you all very much. Thank you so much for the continued support. And... Remember, stay drunk on Omicle, my friends. Ah, cheers. There we go. That was the one.